0: Hey there, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast, episode number 78 with Cassandra Corrado. Uh, So this is somebody that I've worked with for a very long time uh, with the writing projects that I've done with uh, Presence. Uh, So I've been working with them for uh, now over four years, but Cassandra has now set out on her own to be a full-time independent sex educator for college students and adults. Um, So it's really great to talk with her about her story and um, all kind of the life lessons that she's learned on her journey towards being that full-time independent kind of solopreneur, uh, working in a really important space of uh, doing kind of trauma-informed and really inclusive uh, sex education for uh, college students and adults. So uh, she is out and about uh, doing workshops and uh, webinars and uh, writing and doing a lot of cool stuff. So definitely check her out uh, and the work that she's doing uh, down the show notes and connect with her and follow up. But uh, she is great. This is a super fun episode. I'm so glad that we found time to do this. And uh, I'm so excited for you to listen. So without further ado, this is episode number 78 with Cassandra Carrado. And we will start as we always do if you just want to introduce yourself and give a brief overview of your professional journey and how you got to be where you are today.
1: I'm a sex educator who works with college students and other adults to basically help them unlearn shame and uh, start to really step in to the parts of their identity and the parts of their health, whether it's their physical health, their mental health, their sexual health, their emotional health, or something else entirely that maybe they haven't been thinking about or they haven't been paying attention to. And I love working with adults. Um, That's always been my kind of mission in the sex ed space. So many people do work with K-12 and that's vital. It's absolutely necessary and we need more people doing it. But um, kids who don't get sex ed grow up into be adults who don't have sex education either. So for me, it was really important to to not pretend like once you got to adulthood, obviously everything was figured out because that so isn't the case. Yeah, well,
0: I think, too, it, it, I'm sure perhaps more common right now that, you know, a kid growing up right now may be getting a better uh, you know, sex education and many of us that, you know, people who are maybe, you know, yeah, into adulthood and everything. So it's like, there's still uh, like a, a high need for people who are, uh, yeah, I guess theoretically people are like, Oh, I'm sure they're fine. They know better or whatever, you know, uh, or just are, are encountering things they might not have, uh, thought of, or, you know, uh, know how to cope with or
1: deal with. So, um, yeah, absolutely. It differs state by state too, right? So like every state actually has different requirements for what students learn in sex education. So when you have students getting to college then, where you've got people from a lot of different states, you really can't assume that they're all on the same page because a state that requires abstinence-only education is not the same as going to school in California where you actually have like healthy youth education happening. And so When you get to adulthood, that's something completely different to keep in mind. Is that everyone's educational background is really different, just from a legislative perspective.
0: So I think we'll we'll explore that a little bit more in a little bit. But I guess uh, in terms of your your origin story, I'm not sure. I guess what might be anchored in terms of anything from your own college experience, the things that you did or learned, like courses you took or anything. But like you know, uh, perhaps not you know with the work that you're currently doing. Because on one hand, obviously it's the the content of uh, sex ed, but then also. Kind of being a solopreneur and you know going out on your own recently like anything from your own college experience that still resonates like mentors lessons learned advice that kind of stuff anything that comes to mind i guess from from your own college experience
1: i wouldn't even be on this career path if i didn't have the college experience that i did because at my liberal arts school. My first semester of college, I joined this organization called Voices for Planned Parenthood. And it, at the time, was a really new student organization. It was its first actual semester doing anything. And uh, when I was there, most of the work that the organization was doing was sex education work. So we brought this speaker in. Her name was Megan Andieu, and she taught a workshop called Super Sex. And uh, my mind was absolutely blown I did not know that you could do sex education as a career path, just flat out to begin with. And I really didn't know that you could do sex ed where you're talking about pleasure, where you were talking about politics, and you were talking about advocacy. I thought it was just like your typical health education type work. Um, and I became just completely fixated on, on learning more about the industry. So I eventually went to go intern at her nonprofit, the Center for Sexual Pleasure and Health. And while I was there, I started to want to learn more about how we support survivors of sexual violence and how sex education and violence prevention and advocacy go hand in hand. And what I learned is that those two fields, like they don't actually talk to each other very well, even though intuitively you're like, yes, sex education is a part of violence prevention. Um... But you're coming from different educational frameworks. So I decided I was going to also learn about violence prevention and about victim advocacy. So I interned with my local rape crisis center, Spark, And while I was there, I was able to respond to hospital calls. So if a survivor came to the hospital and they wanted to get a forensic exam done, I would basically be there with them throughout the whole process making sure they understood what was happening, making sure they knew that they could stop the exam at any time and and knew what their options were. And while I was doing that, I was still doing my sex education work, and I was just becoming more and more obsessed, really, with figuring out how all of these things were interacting with each other. And so um, many, many programming initiatives later, I started um, my campus's first 24-7 Healthy Relationships Education Resource Center. And so that was a drop-in space in the student union where you could get information for Spark, information for a campus victim advocate. You could read books about healthy relationships and positive sexuality. And that's like my pride and joy of my college experience. And I wouldn't have been able to do that without the internship opportunities that I had. I eventually, after graduation, went to go work at the CSPH full-time as the programs manager. So I traveled all across the country teaching sex ed workshops on college campuses and helping build out some of the local programs that the organization offers in Rhode Island. Uh, And the really cool thing is that actually, like, as of when we're recording this right now, next week I'm heading to Penn State and I'm going to be teaching that workshop that I saw Megan teach that kind of started me on this whole career path. So... Um, it's really come full circle in that way. And, and Megan was a fantastic mentor and she's since retired, but without her guidance and without the organization, I wouldn't be where I am today. And it shows that like that one college program, that like one workshop you attend on your campus, it really can change a student's life because it certainly changed mine.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, I'm just like you're saying, just seeing that, like that exists, that it can be done and having like that example is obviously yeah, just like so powerful and, um, yeah, I mean, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, you just, like, like you said, you just immerse yourself in this kind of stuff, so it seems just like an eventuality that you were able to kind of get to the point that you are now of, you know, um, like really committing to this work uh, full-time and, um, yeah, just traveling and, you know, doing these uh, workshops and doing webinars and all this really cool stuff, um, really just putting out that knowledge. And um, I guess I'm curious, because I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding, like, it, it you were sort of always working, like, perhaps as sort of a side project independently doing, you know, workshops and those sort of things while you kind of uh, progressed through your career to like your current point. So I guess like, you know, talking through that a little bit of just sort of like how your work has evolved over time and how you kind of made that choice to really uh, commit fully to doing this as sort of uh, a more, I guess, kind of independent capacity or sort of, it's just walking through those sort of like decision points that kind of led you to where you are now.
1: Yeah. So back in, uh, like spring, summer of 2016, I decided that I needed to take a little bit of a break from the work I was doing. I was feeling really burnt out. And when you're doing victim advocacy work and you're teaching people about recovering from sexual violence and you're teaching people about consent and communication all the time um, and you don't have like an adequate support system, it really builds up on you. Mm. So in 2016, I started to take a break. But in 2017, I was like, oh, I want to come back to this. I'm really missing this part of my life. And I felt ready and more supported to actually be doing this work. And uh, I had students who had seen me at other workshops or who followed me on Instagram who wanted to bring me to their campus. So I actually started saying, like, you know what? Yeah, I am available for these things. And so back in 2017 is when I really started building up my independent work, but it was really light. I was teaching just a couple of workshops a semester. And I had some standing clients who, like, I knew that I would go to Pennsylvania almost every semester to go teach a workshop at Bryn Mawr because I have a really good relationship with the students there. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was really what it was for a while. And then I had a partnership with an organization called O-School, and uh, with O-School, I started doing live streaming workshops. And that's really when things started to shift a little bit because I was live streaming once a week and teaching on on really different types of things that I teach than when I'm on campus. Um, super niche workshops that were only like an hour long instead of an hour and a half to two hour long college workshop. And, uh, then, um, and then I needed a break from that because live streaming every single week when you're also mm-hmm. working full time um, and when you're traveling to teach and consulting on the side, which I was also doing um, social media consulting for sex ed nonprofits at the time. Um, it was a lot. It was too much. And uh, I'm definitely the person who I'll pick up too much before I'm willing to say it's too much. Uh, and then I have to figure out what I can let go of. Um, and so it was it was kind of a weird transitional period, which led all the way up to October of 2019, when I I gave my notice at my full time job. Um, i I really knew I couldn't balance it anymore. And I was feeling every day like I wanted to be doing the sex ed work full time. I had started to pick up writing things and I was having to turn down opportunities because I just I I couldn't do them if I was also working full time and still working in higher ed. No, I was working in the ed tech space. I was at presence. But I there's a difference between like working in the higher ed field and working in the niche part of the higher ed field that you want to be working in. And for me, I knew I wanted to continue working in higher ed and I loved doing what I was doing, but I wanted to be doing that sex education work full time. So I, um, after like months really, of figuring out if I could afford to do it and if I had enough money saved up, I decided that it's, it's what I needed to do. And uh, right after I did that, um, I had to get emergency surgery. I got my <laughs> appendix out. So <laughs> like, um, I was so happy that I still like had my health insurance from my old job um, because I had this, I had a coverage gap for two months, um, and so it really just showed me like, I'm glad that I did this the way I did. I'm glad that I took the time to prepare myself for it instead of just saying, you know what, I'm going to take the leap and we'll figure it out as we go really intentionally planned out like when I was going to give my notice how much money I needed to have saved up in the event of something like having to get your appendix out out of nowhere um, and that was my last day at presence was October 4th 2019 and uh, I, I haven't looked back I've been really lucky in that I have so many freelance writing things that have come my way. So I get to do sex ed through writing for these awesome publications and organizations that want to amp up their sex education work. But I've also started doing live stream workshops um, at least every month, if not every week, just depends on the month. And I'm still teaching on college campuses. So the work looks really different now than it did when I was trying to balance like 14 different plates. Um, but but yeah, I did make that that change from doing it on the side to doing it full-time freelance, which is is technically what I do now.
0: Well, yeah, I, I think it it is kind of recurrent. So the people I know that have made the a similar kind of transition is like you have that sort of epiphany or that kind of uh, crossroad, you know, like the realization of okay, like this side project is now like you know getting in the way of like full-time job advice You know, like it's kind of just like there's a clashing there as a friction of like you know, well. You know, my level of engagement in my job, you know, I'm kind of like, eh, I'm not feeling it as much anymore because I'm super excited about this side project, but I have to say no to certain things because I do still have this commitment over here. And like, you know, so um, yeah. yeah, I was curious, I guess, kind of how that, that came about. But I think, yeah, it's just been kind of building momentum over time. And just really like, it always seems like it was kind of uh, the end game, you know, sort of being pulled towards uh, uh, this work more fully. So
1: wasn't a decision without fraud, you know, like I went to therapy for like four mm-hmm. months, just to talk about this decision and like how I was going to do it and what that would look like. Mm -hmm. And, uh, because I, I supervised people like that, that was it. It wasn't like I was just one person and the company would be replacing my work. Like I, I supervised this team of people who I grew myself none of them had been at the company before I started. So I'd always been their manager. And, uh, I, I felt really scared about leaving them and I felt really scared about about leaving them in the middle of some pretty big projects we had just started will there be food when I made the decision to leave all right, all right. and so for me it was very much of like balancing the I really love and want to keep supporting my team but I know I'm not giving them my hundred percent I'm not giving them the energy that they deserve and when I was able to make that reconciliation of like I'm not giving them the best part of me and they deserve to have that in a supervisor. That made the decision a lot easier.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, I mean, I appreciate you mentioning just like therapy cause yeah, just like figuring out how to sort of like talk yourself through that. Cause I'm sure like there's a lot of different ways and just like giving that a lot of like, you know, sort of quality time and, um, sort of discourse and uh, therapy is like, Interesting. I I could imagine. Uh, uh, you know, I I would need something similar as well. Just because, like, you know, yeah, like you're feeling like, oh, I'm like abandoning my team. I'm doing whatever. And like, because for me, it's sometimes like always like it's that idea of like because a, a friend of mine always says it about like New York City where there's like always somebody doing like better than you or worse than you. So it's kind of just being, like, hey, you know, just be satisfied with where you're at. You know, like you're you're good or whatever. Like, and uh, it kind of like always makes me think too of just like you're never as like important or yeah. unimportant as you think you want you know where it's just like hey like don't like put all this on your shoulders like if i leave like the world will be over everyone will be suffering whatever right. like, <laughs> relax you're not like that big of a deal but also like give you know credence to like what you want like that's also important because i you know sort of subconscious to that is like you know like putting others needs like so far and above your own so it's like well you know i, I want to care for them or whatever yeah, know. there's just so much to that and it's just a very interesting um you know sort of exercise i guess that you went through of just having to really like examine and build that capacity to be like you know what it's going to be fine and you know you put in a lot of good time and a lot of good work and you know built a good team that is able to you know uh, carry things on uh, after you uh, leave and everything so i guess just really quick i mean obviously you know you just mentioned obviously how much you have immersed yourself in this work and done it for such a long time and some of those kind of milestones and kind of victories that you really have appreciated uh, that you've accomplished so far like just what else in terms of just like what keeps you like engaged in this work keeps you excited any like kind of like anecdotes of those sort of like milestones or things like um yeah just like what do you enjoy most about your current work? I get you know there's obviously a lot of complexity like you were saying a lot of different like legislations there's always I think some kind of cultural sort of friction with this kind of topic it's you know sensitive for a lot of people so um yeah, you know, like what keeps you engaged in this work that I'm sure could be, you know, uh, emotionally draining sometimes or just difficult to navigate. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I think like higher ed, just in general, it's the students. Um, So I have the pleasure of working with people who are like, generally from 18 to 32, we'll say 85% of my students fall into that range. But then I end up having some students who are older and working with them, regardless of what that age group is, but seeing people really start to think about the way that they interact with other people and uh, start to unpack some of their own values is super rewarding to me. So uh, for example, um, I was in Philly about a year ago and I taught a workshop called um, sex and translation. It's one of my signature workshops and I taught it at a sex shop in Philly called kink shop. And uh, it was a, it was a small group of people. It was um, a group of adults. Everybody was at least in their forties. And in that conversation, people were there with their partners talking about their relationships, talking about the ways that they are afraid to talk about sex or that they feel ashamed to talk about sex or the way that their reactions actually prevent them from having honest conversations about sex. And then just seeing people like there is this quiet moment that happens and you can see when people start to look inside of themselves and say, like, I could do this one thing that would Change my interaction with my partner. It would change how I perceive us arguing. It would change how I perceive my own fear and anxiety about talking about sex. And so when I see, like, you know, 40 year olds and 50 year olds having that moment, it is so rewarding because it's like there is never a point when it's too late to learn about sex. And then, of course, like I get to see that happen with, you know, 18 to 32 year olds all the time. And that's such a transformative period in people's lives. And for me, like I got this message from a student last week that somebody had already told me they had been like really excited after an online workshop that they attended. Um, but the student themselves hadn't said anything to me for a bit, but last week messaged me and said, you know, I really appreciate how intentional and inclusive you are in your workshops because I've never had education that, didn't assume that my partner was cis and a different gender than me. And it didn't have sex education that allowed me to talk about my trauma and like bring that into the room. And so that shows me that like, yeah, it can be really draining sometimes. And like this month, so, you know, we're talking about this in February, 2020, when we're recording, um, and I made the brilliant decision of doing one online live streamed workshop every week for February. And, That um, it's a lot. And I still have a lot of writing deadlines. So like this this week, um, I had seven writing deadlines. And I also had to prep for a workshop and get out the resources from the last workshop. And so on weeks like this week, when I'm really drained, like I have those messages from students that I just turn back to, and I can reflect on and I'm like, right, there's a reason I'm doing this. And like, I (laughs) might feel really tired. And like, I need a nap today. But on Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m., when I'm done with that workshop, I'm gonna feel really good. Um, and that's that's how I've, I've kept myself energized. And it's how I've always kept myself energized. I get really, really nervous before I go teach. And like the second I get on a stage and I'm interacting with students, and when I get to talk with them afterwards, I don't have anything that I do in my life that is more energy and purpose restoring than that little bit of time.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And I just like to, too, I like, because, like, on one hand, or I guess it kind of just made me think about it. You kind of mentioned it more so, like, you know, it's never too late kind of thing. But also just, like, it can be powerful no, knowing that when you're reaching someone, you know, when they're, like, 18 and maybe they're, like, you know, in their first year's relationship or about to get into one, like, it's, like, great. You're going to have such a better precedent than, like and like, and everybody should have that really good, like, precedent and sort of knowledge and everything that you're, you know, uh, sort of instilling into them. And then for anybody else, yeah. Like also just like, Hey, it's never too late either. So like everybody, Hey, like whatever you feel like you need to learn more about, or kind of any topic you feel like you need to engage in, just like, you know, really welcoming, you know, all people and, you know, then conveying the information like you're saying in a really inclusive way. Cause I think, you know, I'm sure some people, because it's just like, man, this is just like, you know, something that I really want to, you know work on or learn more about but then they you know they make the effort to show up somewhere and then they you know it feels sort of less than you know in terms of just the yeah. you know, inclusivity of things so um it is just so great. I mean, just like you doing it in general, and then doing it in such a way that people feel like like it's such a you know breath of fresh air. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I've never you know, like. And I guess too, if you say like some people are just like, I've never had any educational experience that's felt like so yeah. inclusive. Kind of that you know, where it's just like yeah. Even if you're taking like an intro biology class or something, you know, it's like it just feels like you know. I don't know, everybody's respected, and then those sort of things, because, like, it's even as simple as just, like, putting things into a syllabus, or, like, you know, mentioning different resources, like, when you have, like, your, you know, your first course or something, so, um, yeah, so, yeah, it's really, really cool stuff, yeah, I'm so glad that, I guess, like, because also, too, that, like, that it's resonating with people, and then, like, that they, like, tell you, like, it's, like, so many people, like, they don't express that gratitude, you know, like, they feel it, but... You know, they don't let people know. Just like you know, generally, I think in, in, in our lives, you know, we can overlook that. So I'm so glad that like you've also gotten that uh, that positive feedback as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it definitely makes it way easier to keep doing any type of work when you're getting that positive feedback. And and when I teach, like, I take really seriously that you know there is a time and a place for a lecture, and sex ed is never the time nor the place and so if you're doing sex education like you need to keep people engaged you need to be giving them different types of media to um to play with and to think about and to choose to engage with or choose to not engage with and really like I know that every time I teach because my background is in victim advocacy I tell people this is my background and so every workshop I teach whether it's a dirty talk workshop or it's like a oral sex workshop or it's a generic kind of like sex ed, sex positivity workshop, we're going to talk about trauma at least briefly because I'm coming from the mindset that everybody is going to experience some type of trauma at some point in their lives. It doesn't necessarily have to be sexual or interpersonal trauma. It could be a car accident. It could be um, somebody dealing with an eating disorder or a mental health situation that was traumatic to them when you like open up that space to say like, this is going to be part of this conversation, you, you're basically just preparing people. And I do that with letting them know we're talking about trauma. I do that with how we're going to be talking about sexuality and how we're going to be talking about gender. And I basically just like say, you know, for the next two hours, this is the language I'm using. You don't have to be on the same page with me for this language. I don't expect you to be fluent in this, but know that like, this is where I am and this is where I'm coming from. And then I make sure to reaffirm that all throughout. And and for me, I feel like that's been the really big difference. Um, and the great thing is like when I get to teach workshops like that to to med students or to psychology graduate students, right, where I know that these are all people who are future professionals and who could be leading workshops like this themselves one day for their colleagues. Um, because that that is really – inclusivity like just isn't – isn't this one thing it's not a checkbox and it's not something that you can just easily change and it requires people to do a lot of intentional reflection about their internal biases and the things that they're not thinking about um and so it's nice to be able to shift people's perspectives about that even just a little bit when when it comes to sex and sexuality and it's not just about gender and sexual orientation right like it's about trauma, it's about ability, it's about race, it's about socioeconomic status, like every aspect of our identities that we would consider to be like critical areas of focus in student affairs, those are all critical things to look at when you're doing sex education as well, because all of those things impact on, on our sexuality and how we engage in the world.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, yes, just to affirm all of that, yeah, it's so, such good stuff, and I think hopefully, uh, you know, broaden some people's awareness of what, uh, uh blind spots they might have. Cause like, it, it really is uh, a value that everybody should have and, you know, not put on just sort of like, you know, one person to be sort of the, uh, lone advocate. Um, cause like you said, I mean, just the idea of, you know, you're obviously only one person that can only do so much, but if you're, uh, doing these things to empower other people, um, yeah, who might be doing workshops, uh, you know, on their own teams and everything like that, like making sure that they're seeing a good inclusive example of how they should be doing that and given, yeah, just some, yeah. Some, some guidance there. But, yeah. um, well, I guess with, with any of this stuff, like if it's any stuff that helps kind of inform the work you do or any sort of like tools or other, maybe just like fun stuff, like what are you geeking out about? That's really like, you know, keeping you inspired or just like helping you relax or have fun or anything, um, anything that comes to mind. Um, cause I'm curious, anything that, uh, yeah, you might want to kind of give a tip of the hat too. Uh,
1: yeah, so like things that to me are just fun are, are things like gardening, like anytime that I need to just kind of take a break from what I'm doing, whether it's writing or working on a lesson plan, I'll just walk outside and I'll go sit in my garden for a little bit or I'll go trim back like the plants and, and just having that mental reset for me is really helpful. And then when I think about like my actual sex ed work, stuff that keeps me inspired, um, I'm really fascinated by communication. And one of my big educational focus areas is communication and just how people understand each other. Um, and so I listen to a lot of podcasts that are like two people podcasts. And I love listening to all of the times um, they misinterpret each other and then go like yeah, no, yeah, uh, that's not what I meant. Um, What I meant was this thing. And, (laughs) um, and just kind of studying like, how people cope with that, and how then the other person responds and how you move through that, especially in podcasts where they don't edit out or cut down those moments as much. Um, And so for me, like, that's really fun. Like it, it's almost just like this, this light little exercise for me in like, Yeah, these are all the ways that like humans can misunderstand each other or really understand each other, um, which is it's kind of a weird thing to say that like that's something that um, gives me professional energy or revitalizes me. But um, but it does, because communication is at the center of of everything that we do. And Mm -hmm. I think it's something that's always worth trying to improve in some way or at least learning to understand everybody's communication differences a little bit better.
0: Yeah. Um, yep, and I mean, yeah, definitely, I think, uh, yeah, it's interesting, yeah, because I think most people would, like, edit out those things, which I've realized, like, certain shows, like, have acknowledged that they edit out, because, like, people are like, man, like, your conversations are so smooth, and, like, you you know, you're always, <laughs> like, you know, right in line with each other, and, like, well, yeah, I mean, we edit out a lot, because, yeah. yeah, we have to kind of, like, double back and be like, actually, no, I meant the opposite of that. <laughs> yep. Um, but, yeah, if they keep it in, then it's, like, interesting, because, I mean, you know, having a little bit like of patience and, you know, kind of giving some grace to people where it's like, you know, it's not ill intent, you know, I'm sure, you know, more often than not that people like misunderstand each other. Um, so kind of just working on making sure that there's that, uh, yeah, mutual understanding is, uh, obviously always a good thing. Um, well, I guess I'm curious then for like gardening as sort of like a, you know, unique thing, like, is that something that you've always been into or like recently got into or, and like, I don't know how much you kind of like, geek out about that or if that's just been like your own journey or if you're like, you know, obviously there's like, I'm sure there's like all these YouTube channels or something about <laughs> gardening or something. I don't know, like how much you like go deep on it or if it's just sort of a leisurely thing.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a leisurely thing, but um, it started when I was in elementary school. I was president of the environmental club in fifth grade, which basically meant like I worked in my school's butterfly garden every Saturday. and And then for a while I was afraid of dirt, just like fully afraid of it. I didn't want to touch it. It freaked me out. I didn't like how it felt. And so maybe four years ago, I started gardening again, and, and it was just this really soothing practice for me. But I think, honestly, the nerdiest part about it is that I have an air table, which um, you're familiar with from pitch meetings at presence, but it's basically like a spreadsheet tool that you can turn into a Kanban board if you want, or a calendar. Um, and I track all of my pr- my plants' progress in that Airtable. So, like, from the day that I plant their seeds to how long it's supposed to take them to actually germinate to just how they're doing once they're fully grown and if they were successful or not successful, I track all of them there. Because, like, why not have data on the fact that my cucumbers all died last summer? Um, mm-hmm. And so I wouldn't say I'm particularly good at gardening, but because I live in South Florida – The nice thing is that it's kind of gardening season all year round. I can grow, um, I can grow tomatoes in December because it's like 85 degrees here still. And so, um, that gives me a lot more time to play with it. Whereas people who live, you know, in Indiana, you've got a little bit more of a restriction there. Like your, your playtime's kind of limited, um, And so for me, it's nice because I I get that all year round and I get to just experiment with it. And I would probably really benefit from reading a book on gardening so that I would stop killing my cucumbers. Um, But, um, you know, I'll get it one day. I'll go to the library and and get a book about South Florida gardening because it's a whole new it's a whole new territory. Like plants are really not meant to grow here, but they they manage it all year round. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because like, you're, like, undertaking it as if you're, like, one of the first humans just trying to figure out, like, <laughs>
1: like how does this all work? I don't understand. Like, I am. Like, um, I'm totally ignoring that there are plenty of YouTube channels and podcasts and books about this. And I'm just like, all right, going to plant these seeds and, like, see what happens. <laughs> yeah, um, but also
0: doing it as sort of, like, this, like, you know, enlightenment uh, era, like, <laughs> scientist, where, like, I'm tracking it all. I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. Like, I'm doing, like, that, like, sort of nerdy capacity or, like, sort of aspect to it is what I'm just, like... I guess, fascinating. I'm just like, yeah, I mean, you could pull together quarterly reports and you know, could. make them in the charts and things. And, you know, like you just like, you know, yeah, you know, like sit your partner down and just be like, okay, I have a presentation prepared. I want to let you know how all the plants are doing over time and projected growth rates. Um, but yeah, you tease, uh, but
1: like, we did have a conversation like that once um, <laughs> my partner and I, like when I first set this up, I was like, all right, so I need to show you how the plant air table works and this is how we're going to track everything. And, and, you know, it's gotten to the point where like I keep our our pantry supplies, like, you know, what spices we have, how much flour we have, like I track all of that in Airtable. So I'm kind of running our whole household through it and showing how much we go through things and Yeah. Um I mean,
0: it's a great project management tool. It really it? is.
1: Um this is not sponsored by Airtable, but like let us know if you want to talk. Um but yeah, I I feel really excited about it and I think for me like I I'm a perfectionist, so it's really freeing for me to just be like, I'm going to plant these seeds and see what happens. Um, and then when all of my cucumbers die, I'm like, hmm, that didn't go great. That sucks. Um, and I just try again. And like, I could read a book and try to do it perfectly, but I would be so much more frustrated than when my cucumbers died because they would still die, I'm pretty sure. Uh, right. So I like,
0: like- I did what the book told me. Like, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Right. It's just, I didn't move them far enough out of the sun. And then the Florida sun literally just burned through their leaves in one day is what happened last year. Um, but I, I like letting go of that perfectionism for a little bit with gardening and just saying like, I'm going to experiment with this. And then maybe after my second round or my third round of trying to do something, then I'll go back and read a book and see what I can do better, like what I can improve on, what I may be missing. Um, and instead of like trying to get it all perfect and have this like perfect, amazing garden right off the bat, like I'm content with the fact that my rosemary has survived four years, but I've gone through like eight basil plants in the same amount of time.
0: Well, it's an interesting way to look at it, too. Yeah, like that. It's kind of a good exercise of sort of letting go of control and just sort of like following your intuition or instincts or just sort of, yeah, like kind of trial and error. Um, <laughs> But, uh, well, I guess you mentioned you were not, uh, reading or watching any gardening, uh, content or no. anything, but, um, anything else, I guess, as we're winding down to stuff that you might want to really quick, uh, yeah, just give recommendations to, um, again, stuff for fun or stuff more for, uh, professionally related that you are reading, watching, and, or listening to that we can include in the show notes.
1: Yeah. So I just recently started listening to the New York times modern love podcast. So I've always read the modern love column when it comes out, but, um, they have a podcast where they like hire actors to read some of the letters. And that's been a really beautiful experience because then they do a talk back with the authors. Uh, I also listen to my favorite murder just in the background while I'm working. Um, I've decided that Karen and Georgia are my new friends. They have no idea that I exist, but we're friends and it's fine. Um, and, and they're really fun because they, um, they do edit out some parts of their conversation, but like I would say the first 30 minutes of their podcast is just like two friends catching up with each other before they start going into the storytelling. Um, and they've done some like really interesting stuff around victim awareness and, and just talking about um, victim stories. And, and so I'm definitely like, I can't listen to a lot of um, true crime stuff. Like I can't listen to murder squad or anything. That's just like talking about the facts of things, but I do love hearing people's stories that we don't get to hear enough. Um, So that's what I've really been listening to. I've listened to an absurd amount of it in the past month because I just leave it on in the background while I work. Um, And half the time I have to re-listen to the episode because I've totally missed everything. But uh, those are, those are two of the things that I'm listening to right now. Um, And I'm reading a lot. Like I, I live down the street from a library, so I just walk up to the library, and I will just walk around and like grab books, whatever books I feel like. Um, And so I try to read a book a week. And I just finished *Normal People* by Sally Rooney, which was fascinating. I literally finished it this morning. Um, So now I'm gonna go pick up my new book, which is *Radium Girls*, and that's a historical book, and that actually just talks about the history, like this really kind of sickening. U.S. industrial history, um, thing that happened. So I'm all over the place when it comes to types of media that I consume, um, like with part tiny house shows, part murder podcast, um, and then part, just like any book that I come across. So that's what I'm doing right now. Slash always. Very cool.
0: Um, well then we will end the episode here. Uh, always one of my favorite questions, to see how uh, folks take it. But, um, yeah, what are uh, what is something or are some things that you are looking forward to in your job life and or the world? So anything that comes to mind, any you want to try to hit on all of those or just any any one thing? But yeah, what are you what are you looking forward to?
1: Yeah, so like I said, I'm in the middle of this um, four workshops, like a workshop every weekend in February. So um, I have workshop number two this weekend, and I'm really excited for that. And then on Thursday, I'm actually heading to a school that I've never taught at before, Penn State. And I'm going to their main campus. So I'm really excited for that. It's supposed to snow when I'm there. Um, so those are my like things I'm excited for professionally this month. Um, but also, we just passed this legislation here in Florida. Um, or it just made it past the Senate, I should say. It's called Senate Bill 404. And it's, um, it's an abortion-related bill. And it's being called the Forced Parental Consent Bill. And it basically requires minors to have to get a notarized letter from their parents or guardians saying it's okay for them to get an abortion. Um, so it, it's pretty restrictive legislation. Um, and it just passed the Senate yesterday and it's going to the house for a vote soon. Um, and then our governor is that's pretty much guaranteed that he's gonna sign it into law. So for me, um, a lot of my friends are activists and I don't know that I necessarily consider myself an activist, but I do try to educate people just on the stuff that's happening around them so given that primaries are coming up pretty soon here in Florida and that we do have all of these major laws that are being pushed through, I'm really excited to see the things that activists do and to see people hopefully um, get really connected with this political cycle because um, our politics affects our health at, at just such a granular level um, that I think we should all all really care about it. And there's something, there's stuff happening in every single state right now that we should care about. So not to like make a political plug to call your senators um, about this legislation, but um, just like be in tune with what's happening, because I guarantee you, like there are so many Floridians who didn't even know that this passed the Senate yesterday and that it, it will eventually be signed into law. But we should like we should all be knowing about stuff like that. And so I'm excited for people to, to start to get energized as the election gets closer and closer.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like it's something that I've been at least somewhat reassured about is like this current moment politically, like seeing a lot more people, I feel like engaged in this kind of stuff. I'm like somewhat reassured that that's happening where it's just like, I wish we weren't here to begin with, but you know what? If this is inspiring more people to, you know, uh, I don't know, be engaged in the political process, then that's a good thing. And yeah, just like skim the newspaper so you know what's going on in your local area. And also, yeah, just uh, make sure that you... Uh, engage with what's going on and make sure that, you know, uh, your community represents your values and that you're at least being heard. And, um, yeah, I saw some uh, presence folks that were uh, down there uh, uh, sort of, uh, you know, yeah, protesting really uh, that law. And, um, yeah, it seemed at least like it was making uh, at least a somewhat immediate impact, but um, yeah, it's always good advice. Yeah. Like <laughs> know what's going on and yeah, call your representatives and all that good stuff when, uh, uh You need to let them
1: know how you feel. Yeah, and, like, I think people get overwhelmed so easily, and I tell them, like, just make a separate email address. You know, like, I make, like, your normal email address and then change it a little bit to be, like, activism in part of it. And then sign up just for a bunch of local organizations that you're curious to learn more about the work that they're doing and the types of things that they support and oppose. And have all of the email go there. And then just set a limit for yourself. Like, I'm going to check this once a week or I'm going to check this twice a week. And just... That way you can stay in tuned in this really filtered way of like, okay, I trust these organizations to tell me what I need to know about and, and not have to rely on filtering everything else out that, that you might be sifting through because it's, it's really easy to get burnt out when you're trying to stay in tune with everything. And so like set the system up for yourself so that you can be informed without letting your, your like burnout monster take over your life.
0: Yeah. Yeah, It's either like you... Yeah, yeah, like kind of overwhelm yourself with like the fire hose of like yes. things you're supposed to care <laughs> about, or it like you know you kind of are following things, but it's in the mix of everything else, so it kind of gets lost in the noise, or yeah. Um... Yeah, those kind of things. That's definitely, definitely good advice. And, you know, you can give time, you could give money, you can give just sort of like signal boosting or sort of like volunteer or something, you know, like a lot of ways to engage too. So um, definitely a very good optimistic uh, kind (laughs) of rallying cry there for folks at the end of the episode here. But uh, thank you so much for your time and all that you shared. And we'll have ways to uh, have folks who are listening connect with you down in the show notes. But um, yeah, thank you again so much. And uh, yeah, just have a good rest of your day.
1: Thank you, you too. Thanks so much for having me.
0: This podcast is part of the Connect Edu Podcast Network, bringing together diverse voices in the higher ed community. Check us out on Twitter at Pod or at ConnectEDU.network. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.